Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Leaders have a huge impact on culture, both directly and indirectly. We'll be talking about that today. My name is Dominic Gawley, and I'm joined by David Byram, a.k.a. DB. Hi, Dom. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So this is part five of a five-part series. In part one, we talked about what is culture, why does it matter, and we talked about the different types of value that it drives. And then we started breaking down the different causes of culture. So in part two, we looked at the mission and philosophy, as well as the organizational structure and how that drives culture. In part three, we talked about the HR systems, such as appraisals and reward and recognition. In the last episode, part four, we talked about how jobs are designed and what messages that sends about how people are expected to behave. So today, DB, we're talking about leadership. It's a big causal factor. We know leaders have a huge impact. So how do they do it and how does it form culture? Great question. And it is a big topic today. The challenge is that leaders both directly and indirectly. So what do you mean by that? So leaders have a direct impact on culture through the way they act, through what they do, how others see them act, the direct decisions they make. The leaders also have an indirect impact on culture through all the decisions they make around all these causal factors. So basically the things we've talked about in the previous few episodes, so how jobs are designed, how we structure the organization, what we reward and punish. Correct. To what degree do I involve? To what degree do I empower? To what degree do we promote a service focus? To what degree do we articulate our mission and philosophy? So there's this balance between what I directly do and the indirect decisions I make on as a leader, which then influences the culture we have. So it's interesting because most people just think about role modeling, right? And how, how we act as leaders. And that is kind of what we're going to talk about today. But I guess it's to keep in mind that they also, there's someone making all those decisions about all the stuff we've talked about on the last few episodes. Yeah. And I think I'd go back to that, that dual effect of the, the culture influences the leader and the leader influences the culture. Right. And so both leadership and culture, I'd almost view them as the head and tail of the same coin. Mm. So if both leadership and culture are so intertwined, the metal is combined in a, in a coin and you can't separate leadership and culture. They are intertwined and both those variables together actually influence our performance outcomes, which we talked about in the very, very first podcast we did. Yeah, that's right. And I think that that's something people forget as well is that leaders are people too and they're influenced by culture in the same way that everyone else is in the organization. They're not necessarily above it, right? But they have a huge influence back on it. But, you know, we should all keep that in mind. So they're, they're part of the same system as well. Yeah, exactly right. Leaders are influencing the culture, but part of the culture and being influenced by the culture comes to that analogy. Is the culture controlling us or are we controlling the culture? The challenge, and I, I illustrate this to all leaders, is that as a leader, you're being watched 24-7. Uh. Everything you do from the way you communicate to the time you start work, to the time you go home, the time you send your last email, to the tone you put in your emails, how open you are in communications, what you decide to share and what you decide to not share, all comes into play. As a leader, you are visible and you're visible 24-7 and they directly and indirectly impact the culture. 
So maybe if we pick up on that a bit, Diva, you talked about leaders being in the spotlight constantly, and we talked about communication. So what is it in communication that they're sending messages about expected behaviors, about culture? Yeah, so communication is the, the first factor we'll look at. And um, what we'll break that down is we'll break it down into the messages we send downward as a leader. So what messages do I send to people? What information do I provide? And how do I send it? So the second variable to talk about is what messages do I receive? So it's the upward communication piece. So what do I send down and what am I getting back? What do I get back? Yep. And then the last piece we'll talk about in communication is how do I use communication to learn and grow versus constrain and inhibit, if you like, to put another mm-hmm. lens on it. So in terms of downward communication, it's what other practices that we use internally to drive communication in our organization. How do I send information and how is it received by the broader organization and its teams? Okay. So we're really looking at a few variables here. Is the messages I send out timely or do we hold back? Do people have the perception that everything's delayed? Is the information we send out complete and full and transparent? And from me, or is the information that people receive from third hand the, through the, the grape, rumor mill through the grapevine? One thing, and it's interesting about communication. It's an interesting thing to pause. There's always a void in an organisation. There's a void of information. By default, you can't communicate everything all the time, on point, everywhere. The bigger you get, the harder it is. Some great initiatives in town now. I work with a client who does global podcasts like this to as many teams as possible puts video links out, but people watch it at different points in time and uh-huh. pick up bits of it, not all of it, and share it. So what I say to organizations is that there will be avoid information. You want to try and minimize that through timely, complete, accurate information straight from the source. But what happens is your culture determines how people fill the void. So if I have a culture that's somewhat security orientated and things, there's a lack of information, it'll be they haven't told us yet because something else is going to happen. Something's bad. Something bad is something, just about to happen. Something bad's going to happen. Or they're only telling us what they want to hear, so they're keeping other stuff up the sleeve. Versus if your culture was from a more satisfaction-orientated lens, well, they might not know yet. When we need to know, they'll let us know. So the people will fill the void with defensive tendencies, security, fear, or satisfaction, more open, more transparent. So our opportunity as leaders is when we're sending information down through the organization is how can I be as clear as I can, as open as I can, as credible as I can, minimize the amount of surprise of information, so transparent. And we talk about the difference between being transparent and clear. What is that difference? Um, so it might be transparent and I feel I'm being open, but do they really understand the meaning behind it? Is it truly clear? Do they understand what I'm saying? Right. So we're, we're going to lay off all these people, but I'm not going to tell you why. Yeah. Whereas at least... Yeah. well, the business has to do this, this, and this, and yeah. this is why we have to make that decision. And it's the clarity, so I can actually see it. I understand mm. it mm. versus just passing on the message. Mm. Is it consistent? Do I have a, a view today and then tomorrow it's the same view versus changing the views? So that links nicely back into our mission and philosophy. Mm. Are we consistent with the messages we send around our purpose and why we exist as an organization? So finally, I'd say is, is it the critical information? And I often talk to leaders about what are the critical few things you want people to know. And if they were sharing information at home, what would be those critical few? Because there is an inordinate amount of information around. And before we started our podcast today, we were just talking about emails and the level of emails running around. 
everyone gets overloaded with email. I'm sure there's people out there saying that emails make my life easier, but there's so many emails. There's someone answering emails as they listen to this right now. I guarantee they are. So stop responding to your emails. No, don't do that. The overload of information. So what's the critical information we need to get to people so they know what's important? Otherwise, they'll be deciding what's important. So what are the clear messages that we want to get across? Right. And so it's really about that clarity goes back to like the goals and stuff that we've talked about previously. What do people really need to know? What's going to move the needle forward, right? Yeah, correct. And that's half the equation because communication is always a two-way street. And we talk about the downward, but there's also the upward communication, which is the messages that I receive coming back from the teams. So what I would say with the teams is when they're sending messages back, how open are they with me? So I was like, how open am I going down? But how open are they with me as the leader? Because you've got to remember communication and we're talking about the leader. Do people provide information voluntarily? And this is often I talk about from a constructive mindset, the power of affiliation humanistic, because I'm encouraging people to be open, collaborate, respectful. I want to stand the opinions of others. Whereas power is somewhat an illusion. I refer to this illusion of power. People will only come and talk to you about what you've told them to come and talk to you about. So a culture that creates power is this illusion of in control. And you're truly not in control because you're deciding what they talk to you about. And therefore, they're deciding what they do right. not talk so They're holding something back. Do not talk to you about. Correct. So are they open? Do they talk about the positives and the negatives? Is it complete, the stories they give me? And then how do I do that information? Do I actually look at that information as an opportunity to learn from it? And do I accept it, what they're saying? Right. So is it listened to? Correct. Right. Yeah. And so how we've got upward and downward communication. So how is it driving culture if, you know, if the downward communication is kind of sketchy, it's delayed, you know, or the vice versa? How is that actually? Because we talked about filling the void, which is kind of the culture coming back towards communication. But what's the other way? So the lack of information is going to create a security mindset. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. What yeah. do I need to do? So that lack of information is going to drive me to wait for others or potentially stand out and compete for attention. Or the lack of information, what I'm going to rely on is the policies, procedures, the rules. Right, because that's what you can fall back on. Because I can fall back on the rules. The lack of information is going to encourage me to be more safe about what I need to do, avoid rather than step forward and make a difference. Be curious. And the other way is, you know, overkill on information, overload, is that, you know, do I need feel I need to be on top of every detail, right? Because the signal my leader's saying is that everything's important, right? Because they've sent me a huge long thing. Which could then drive perfectionistic. Perfectionistic, correct. Yeah. And then I guess other the other way on upward communication, you know, if it's I can see part of that as part of the game plan, right? If well, I'm not gonna tell my leader what I don't think they want to hear as a way of keeping myself safe, right? Because it's risky to be the bearer of or at least respectfully straight news, right? Which is constructive. Correct. Yeah. I don't want to be the one that's in the middle of the crosshairs. So if I feel that, and this is where the, the culture is somewhat defensive, I won't be openly communicating. I'm not uh. encouraged to communicate openly, uh. which is a nice lead into communication for learning because this is, what do we do at a broad level with this information? Do we reflect learning big picture and interdependencies? 
So now, do we actually use information to learn from our mistakes? Do we create an environment where we're going to share information from a team perspective? Are we focused on the interlinks between individuals and between teams, between departments, between whole functions in the organization? So what's the environment we're using to learn and grow? So how do we actually promote discussion within the organization to be the best we can be versus hold ourselves back? So what's important about the big picture, reflecting a team perspective, focused on the organization, they seem to be sort of a group there. Yeah, it's all going to drive those achievement orientation. Why is that? We can make a difference. Because we're now, in, in linking back to significance of some of the broader variables, now we're saying that as an organization, I don't need to be constrained and high as an individual because we're part of this greater difference we're making for our service offering to our customers or constituents, the non-commercial areas. So the other way about that would be instead of focusing on the big picture, we're looking at details, right? So as leaders, we're communicating about specifics and we're talking about departments rather than the organization. And we're talking about teams rather than the organization, perhaps, or individuals. So what's that driving if we go that opposite way? So if you're not big picture, you could be very much, so it's linear, one-way, conventional. I'm only going to share the information we need to share. It could even drive oppositional. So let's point out flaws. We're not getting all the information, so we don't know a lot, but we know the rules are right. So let's point out flaws for any new idea versus let's learn and grow. What about an, an, an internal competition? Because you know, if you're focusing on departments so, or even teams, so say sales teams within the greater sales team, you know, their numbers, their numbers, their numbers, their numbers, then the thing I'm going to hear in that is, okay, Screw the other guys. We've got to get our numbers at all costs, right? So is there an internal competition that you're driving with that focus? So now you're getting into some of the way we portray metrics, which leads into task and interaction facilitation coming up later on. But so all teams uh, need a scoreboard. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between a scoreboard and a leaderboard. And what you were just talking about then was a leaderboard. Right. All right. And it's probably not using it for a communication for learning. It's actually using it to communicate where are you relative to everybody else? Right. Not how can I learn from everybody else? Where are we relative in terms of growing? So a leaderboard will stack rank. Yes. All right. So I'll stack rank number one at the top, number 10 at the bottom. And that stack rank, I don't want to be at the bottom. So yes. I'm now going to drive this competitive standout, not share, not collaborate. If I break it into a sporting context and high performing sporting teams that have a mixture of old players and young players, You want the older players teaching the younger, new players, the bigger picture, how to learn the ropes, stay focused and learn. And we want to communicate from this broader, and within sporting teams, there's teams within teams. How do we understand each other and share across? If the older players are not sharing because they're fearful of their permission, uh, position, those younger players aren't going to be growing and the team will stagnate. So you've got to create an environment where everyone believes and is encouraged to that we're truly about learning and growing. It's not about individual performance per se. It's interesting. I had an example from a, from a company I knew where they would literally have something called the stars and dogs. So every, I don't know if it was every week or month, I can't remember, but there'd be the stars and the dogs and it was a highly networked business. So all these teams actually had to work together. But of course, what it drove is no one wanted to be a dog, right? They wanted to be stars. So guess what? When it came time to kind of collaborate with someone else and work with them because there was a synergy to be gained from actually working together. 
they would always do what was in their best interests for their trade because they didn't care, right? Yeah. You had a leaderboard. That was a leaderboard, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. So it was but famous. we want a scoreboard, and it comes back to feedback on the job. So we want that scoreboard. Well, scoreboard is achievement, right? Correct. A leaderboard is competitive. Leaderboard is competitive. Correct. All right. So if we move on to the next section, that's more about the leaders themselves and the, how they... It is now about my direct leader. So we're now talking around the direct leader and the balance of behaviors that I exhibit towards task and people. And there are four metrics we look in here. And the first ones are really around facilitation and it's facilitation of people or relationships and the facilitation of task. And the, the next two are all around the orientation. Do I orientate towards goals or do I orientate towards people? So let's just step through those. Interaction facilitation is what we technically call it. But now it's the extent to which I encourage people to work part as a team. So the extent to which do I open up networks and provide the opportunity and support the collaboration and cooperation of individuals in the team. So now I hold meetings of groups to learn. So this is why the causal factors are linking. So now communication for learning, we're bringing people in together to learn. So I'm taking a lens where I'd be saying, Dominic, can you share your learnings with your fellow colleagues or other teams on how this goes about? Uh So I'm encouraging people to collaborate, share ideas and network together. So that's that interaction facilitation. The extent to which I, as the leader, will actually actively promote collaboration, which is going to drive humanistic and affinity versus as a leader, let's not collaborate. That's going to keep you. It's a bit like the hub and spoke. I'm going to keep you isolated. Right. All right. So I'm going to drive you potentially to compete against each other and use power tactics against each other, not to work together. Gotcha. Whereas task facilitation is how I actually help you solve problems and implement solutions. So now with task facilitation, it's how do I help you create the solution? So do I help you plan? Do I help you understand the goals and the objectives? Do I facilitate problem solving by asking you questions rather than giving you the solution? Uh. So often I um, will talk to leaders around, it's easy for a leader, particularly a content-based leader, to give the solution, but you're not growing them if you give the solution. So to what degree do you, or growing the individuals, I should say, to what degree do you offer ideas around how to approach that? And it might be collecting data. It might be generating solutions. It might be the evaluating of solutions. So now I'm actually facilitating the completion of the activity, whereas the first step I was facilitating the interaction to shared learning. Uh. Now I'm facilitating the completion of the activity or solving of the problem. And so I guess that goes back to that whole thing we talked about, you know, leaders are kind of under the microscope, right? And people are watching what they do. And so, you know, it's the, it's often slower today to teach someone, right? And to step them through their own thinking about, okay, what's the correct decision here and helping facilitate that decision-making process with them. It's a lot faster just to tell people, you know, and I, I guess leaders get caught up in the, today it's faster to do that. So you know, they just default that to that kind of position, you know, but I guess if you had the big picture in mind, you've got to be growing people. Faster today, faster tomorrow. Yeah. We'll be doing it again next month. Yeah, and the day after. And, and the, the day, day after. after that. So it's striking this balance of how do I, and the challenge is that everyone's a leader. 
the challenge is that how do leaders become leaders of leaders? Mm. So how do I encourage this to learn from others, this interaction, facilitation, or collaboration, cooperation? And how do I encourage people to think and act in a way that allows them to actually make different decisions and reach conclusions Mm. versus relying on me? My role, and it's interesting, we use the word facilitation. My role here is to facilitate both interaction or people and facilitate the completion of the activity or the task side. And so it's if they get if you're getting them to think for themselves, then you're growing those constructive, those satisfaction Correct. orientation. Yep. And if you're telling them the answer, essentially you're driving their dependency. Correct. So the uh, the opposite of the interaction will be driving the power. Mm. Don't collaborate. And the opposite of the um, the task facilitation will be driving the avoidance and dependence. I'm going to come to you to tell me the answer. Yeah, makes sense. And pulling away. So what about we? You mentioned goal emphasis and consideration which was people-orientated. What are those? How do they differ from the other two? So it's interesting. I often say the task and the interaction are more the active pieces of leadership. And sometimes I refer to these as the passive or the uh, inactive pieces because it's the goal emphasis is what is the example you're setting? What is the standard you set? This is role modeling? This is is linked to role modeling, yeah. So do you maintain the standards? Do you uh, set the example? Do you encourage people? And this comes back to you're always under the spotlight. People are watching you as a leader. What do you accept and what do you let go? So one of the things and one of the techniques I do when I work with culture work is I always go for a a walk around whatever the facility is. If it's a manufacturing operation, I go out to the lines and right in the weeds. If it's in a call center, I walk around the call center. If it's in an IT hub, I walk around the IT hub. I walk the facility with the most senior leaders and I'm looking for a couple of things. I'm watching how well the leaders know everybody uh-huh. and do they listen to people when they're out, which leads me to consideration. I'm also watching what the leaders walk past. Do the leaders know the metrics that are on the board? Do they understand what's going on? To what are the messages the leaders are sending? So that's where we get this goal emphasis in terms of what the leaders are watching or looking at. So essentially, are they role modeling constructive behaviors or not? Yeah, at a simple level, yes. Are they role modeling? Are they, uh, are they involving, interacting? When I say a simple level, because I'd say leaders should role model across all the causal factors. Right. So when they communicate their role modeling, when they create the interaction facilitation, their role modeling creation of groups, when they role model the problem solving aspects, it right. happens to all aspects. Right, gotcha. But it's specifically here, when I'm watching you, what do you focus on? Do you focus on, and do you share? Do you play nice with your peers? Right. So in the leadership team. Or, yeah. So yeah. When, when you come back from a leadership meeting back into your team, which team are you representing? The leadership team or the functional team. Yeah. And what do you talk about in terms of your peers? Are you leading by example? So you're, you're suggesting to all your, your team, collaborate, work well together, network. When you come back in, what's the language you say about your peers? Mm. And that's what we mean by the goal emphasis piece. Mm. I think that's a whole podcast on its own uh, that we can do that. We could do a whole podcast on teams. Well, Cat- well, that might be the next series. Catch me next month. The consideration is to what degree is the leader open, all right? To what degree is the leader personally supportive and considerate? So things we look at here is how friendly and easy is the leader to approach? Uh-huh. Do they make time for people? 
does the leader actively want to know what's motivating people? Then following up from that is, does the leader listen to the opinions? Does the leader act on the opinions that you're hearing? Is the leader clear on why some opinions are acted on and others are not acted on? So this is what we mean by this consideration. So to what degree does the leader actually take into account personally to support the leaders? Right. And that's going back to almost the involvement and so on that we talked in an earlier podcast. Um, you know, if I come to my manager, it's not only do they listen, but do they actually act on it and or do they explain why they won't act on it, right? Because that's equally important that if they're not going to do it and there may be a good reason for not doing it, do they actually share that reason? Do they share the logic? Correct. Yeah. And it comes back to the when we talked earlier around making sure fairness of appraisals are objective versus subjective and they're rational versus emotional. So it all links together. So I'm hoping at the as a result of our series of podcasts over the five we're doing on this series is that people see the links to outcome that leaders have, that culture influences what leaders do, what leaders do influences culture, and those two combined influence the outcomes of employees, customers, and shareholders, which we can then measure. Gotcha. And now we're into the, the power bases. Okay, um, so what does that mean? So in essence, why do people do what they do? So to the extent to which people are influenced and what's driving the influence. So what we're talking about, we'll talk about organizational bases of power and personal bases of power. And I'll start with personal. So personal bases of power is the extent to which I can influence others due to my knowledge, my expert, my referent power, or I'm willing to be influenced by that leader. So exchange power. So measures here, my supervisor understands my role. My supervisor knows what has to be done. They have the knowledge. They have the credibility. Right. So I respect them. I respect them. Yeah. As a person, I respect them, what they're bringing. I understand who they are, what they do, and how they work. They take into consideration my requests, my Uh opinions. It's a kind of person who I value. As an individual, I value them. So we refer to that as personal basis of power. Now, the key with personal basis of power, it creates a neutral to positive impact on culture. So what I mean by that, it's going to have, it's not going to create a defensive culture. If you don't have it. If you don't have it. Yeah. So it's going to be neutral. But if you do have it, it's going to create a constructive culture. Right. So personal basis of power is going to build this constructive culture. Then you've got organizational basis of power, which is the flip. So what's that? So it's going to have a neutral to a negative. Okay. And organizational basis of power is now about influence again. So both paces of power are about influence. And the influence we have now is over because they have control over me through legitimate power, so positional power. They have the ability to punish me, so it's more coercive power. They have the ability to uh, create extrinsic outcomes, bonuses, pay rises, development opportunities, so it's reward power. So it's the boss who throws his title around. Is yeah. That title around? Yeah. So I, the boss can influence how much money I make. The boss has formal authority and make decisions over I get promotions or not. Make things difficult for me. So I do things more from an organizational basis of power. And it's always a balancing act because organizational basis of power creates a neutral to negative impact. Uh-huh. So one of the keys here in organizations go, well, how much do you want? And I say, that's a great question. Because you need some. You need some. Without it, you've got anarchy. Right. All right. We've got no one doing anything. Yeah, right. 
So we need some level of systems and practices and authority. But what I often say is you want good personal basis of power. So personal basis of power is going to have a positive impact, whereas organizational basis of power is going to be neutral to negative. So if you have your balance right there, where personal people do things from a personal lens, it will carry over the organizational practices you need from an organizational basis of power. And so really with a lot of these things that we've talked about in the leadership space, that's where really like leadership development programs can come in and help with those. Because I guess if you're moving, if you don't have that personal basis of power, then you might have to rely on the organizational one. You know, you might have to pull rank because you can't get people to do what you want otherwise, right? Because they're not just following you because they respect you. Yeah, I'd agree. And so organizations that build constructive cultures work with their leaders. There's no doubt about that. I've got an organization in mind at the moment where they have a very, very constructive culture. In fact, their culture looks like most organizations' ideal or preferred culture. And their founders, their senior executives are personally committed to the journey. So they personally go out and act as coaches and developers of people. But it's more than that. They have series of development activities that actually support the building. So they work with teams create teams and environment where teams can collaborate both internally and externally to their organization. Uh-huh. So they're actually creating it for a greater good. Their employees see the impact of what they have and their leaders have a constant mandate of their purpose and why they exist. And then you take it down to the frontline leaders and you're building the capability of those leaders to have a conversation with their teams that is constructive. So you're helping those teams make a difference. You're helping those teams be the best they can be every day. You're helping those individuals come to work and be curious, collaborate, cooperate, and know that they've had a good day. So organizations that do it well work at all levels of the organization on leadership, and they don't rely on a one-off training program. It just won't make the difference. Well, it's a commitment, like you said, with the organization you were talking about, that the leaders were truly committed to actually having a constructive organization and having a constructive impact themselves. And that's, that's really the difference I see in the companies that are really successful in producing constructive culture. It's when those leaders take it to heart, right? It's, it's really just ingrained in, in the way they think and the way they do things. I'd agree. And what I would say is that the leaders truly believe that operating from a constructive mindset will make a greater good. Now, what happens is aspirational values, and I went to, we talked about the Google values, I think in Podcast two. And yeah, part two. And everyone has it. Everyone has their aspirational values. But the challenge is making those values come to life as true life behaviors that are constructive. So how do we support our leaders themselves to live those values through their actions, through feedback for the leaders? So the leaders have a coach that can help them. So I think everyone needs a coach. I talk to someone, I talk to multiple people regularly myself around to get some insights and some reflections. And so we can help our leaders at all levels to make that difference. Inherently, and I think I might have said in podcast three, is that people want to make a difference. So our challenge as leaders is to live the mantra, given the resources and opportunity, people will excel. So as a leader, am I truly giving people the opportunity, the resources, and clarity on what good looks like? And if I do that, they'll excel and have a mindset as a leader that people do want to make a difference. It's that positive regard. Absolutely. All right, DB. Well, that was fantastic feedback. 
and a great way to cap off our five-part series. If I just do a little summary of, of what we talked about today, we talked about communication. So how leaders communicate down, but also the messages that come back up. Is it clear or is it filtered? What are we communicating? Is it about learning or is it about, you know, just numbers, facts and figures, whatever? Is it about improving? Is it about growing? Then we talked about some of the actual skills and, and qualities of leaders. So around, you know, how do they facilitate interaction amongst their team and with other teams? And how do they help people with tasks? So do they help them with planning? Do they guide them through how to get to the answers themselves? Or do they just tell them what the answer is? We also talked about goal emphasis and consideration. So do they show up as an example for others to follow as a constructive leader? And do they take time with people to really listen to their input, act on it, or at least give reasons why or why not so people have that? And then finally around where do they draw their power from? Is it because they're a respected leader and they know what they're doing that people follow them? Or is it because they pull rank with the stripes on their shoulder? and rely on kind of the instruments of the organization in order to wield power. Fantastic, DB. That's a beautiful summary, Dom. It's been a great pleasure over these five podcasts. So, And I'm sure you'll get me back in the studio for another one at some stage. Well, it sounds like we already teed up one around leadership teams, so that may be, uh, that may be the next one. I think we have. And uh, thank you to all the listeners. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to, uh, to share our insights on... Uh, creating constructive organizations and living our mission, changing the world one organization at a time. And I think that's it. We can only do that together with our amazing community, as we say at the intro of the show. So thank you for joining us. We hope this helps. If you have any questions for us or anything you'd like us to cover, send us an email to podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer them. Thanks for your time, DB. Thank you, Dominic. today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory. The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty. All rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organizational change and development.